You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 970 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday into Tuesday. And today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store. Find one of our Locked on Rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's show will mostly be myself and Ben Ladner, good friend of the podcast, coming on to talk about the Eastern Conference playoff landscape, largely about the teams in that 4-10 to 10 range, where the Hawks are, who the Hawks are battling against in the playoff race, uh, who they might play in the first round, that kind of stuff, and that's coming up in a moment. But first, a little bit of a look ahead to Tuesday's game. The Hawks are going to be in Tampa Bay to face the Toronto Raptors, and Toronto is basically the opposite of the Hawks' recently. Uh, Atlanta is 15-5, and five, kind of famously, in the last 20 games since McMillan took over. Um, obviously a heck of a run by the Hawks. Uh, the Raptors are 4-16 and 16 in their last 20 games in that exact same span. Part of that is definitely, you know, COVID absences and injuries and stuff, but Toronto's been a massive disappointment this year. Um, we'll talk about this actually with Ben in a second, but the Raptors somehow have, they actually have a positive net rating for the season, which is pretty wild, pretty wild at 21-33. and 33. Yes, 21-33 and 33 with a positive net rating for the season. And they are definitely better when they have their actual roster. Like, for example, they're actually plus 3.4 net rating with OG Ananobi on the court, plus 3.9 with Pascal Siakam on the court. So they're still pretty good when they have most of their guys available. But even in this game, the Raptors will be missing Fred Van Vliet, who is their best guard, um, well, at least one of the two best guards with Kyle Lowry at this point. So um, that's a big loss. They do have Lowry. They do have Ananobi. They do have Siakam. So they have more health than last time the Hawks played against the Raptors when it was uh, actually pretty different at this, at this point, too. They actually traded uh, for Gary Trent in exchange for Norman Powell. So kind of a different-looking roster. And Toronto is better than the record, but still a winnable spot for sure for the Hawks. With that said, the injury report is quite busy, as it has been for uh, pretty much the last month plus, and really all year long. Um, Trey Young, at the moment, as of Monday evening, is listed as questionable with his left calf contusion. Gallinari is listed as doubtful with a right foot soreness. So I'm assuming Gallinari will not play. Obviously he could, but doubtful uh, this early on usually means a pretty ugly prognosis. So, uh, and by the way, Gal did not do anything at practice today um, on Monday, according to Nate McMillan. So that seems to be where that's heading. Obviously, it's a pivot point to see whether Trey plays or not. The Hawks were able to win without him, of course, on Sunday afternoon. But it's a tough task to go into another game without Young. So that's something to circle, obviously. And the rest of the injury report, Collins still out, Hunter still out, Tony Snell not on the trip, Cam Reddish, and Chris Dunn. So at a minimum, five guys are out for the Hawks. Could be six with Gallinari and could be as many as seven again with Trey if he's listed. Uh, he's obviously still questionable right now, so we'll see what transpires there between now and Tuesday. So uh, actually no betting line at this moment in time because of the uncertainty with Trey and we're still a day ahead. But that, that's a pretty interesting matchup c- coming up for the Hawks on Tuesday. So they actually return home from there. So we'll see if they can go 2-0 and on this mini road trip. And we'll have full coverage of that after the game on Tuesday. With that said... We're going to get to Ben Ladner in a second, but first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or your favorite sport. Locker Room is the perfect place to start and join conversations about the league, and you'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, of course, reacting to all the biggest news and rumors. You can even find Locked On hosts across MLB, NBA, and the NHL, including some of our big-name folks. In fact, I know for a fact the Hollinger Dunkin' Podcast has been on there, um, recording live and then sharing that on their podcast platform. All kinds of our hosts are up and down the channels. You can find them in the Locked On rooms, and you definitely should go ahead and check that out now. In fact... Go download the free Locker Room app, currently available on all iOS devices, and be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join any of the conversations about the NFL, MLB, and NHL, in addition to the NBA, for all the latest league updates. I know you'll find incredible rooms about your favorite teams in your leagues, and I'll be sure to let you know once there are even more rooms going on for the Locked On team. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's show is also sponsored by rockauto.com. One key reason to repair and maintain your own car is to save money. You can use for other important things like paying the mortgage or paying for food or whatever else you want to use it for. And honestly, why would you want to pay more money for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership when you instead can use rockauto.com? 
RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver. Get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. And best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always low, and they're always the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers, so why spend twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. When you get there, you want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Before I bring in Ben, one programming note here. Ben and I talked on Saturday evening, so this is a little bit delayed. At the same time, we kind of had that in mind. You kind of hear me reference that throughout the interview a few times. Uh, the Hawks and Hornets obviously played sort of an, all, an all-time fun game on Sunday. That doesn't really change anything. I don't think that we talked about here. But just keep in mind that we recorded this a couple days ago as you're listening to it now just because of schedule stuff. And I wanted to make sure because my schedule is packed on Monday night that I got a podcast to you guys for Tuesday. So hopefully that is appreciated. Nothing crazy, but just keep that in your head as you're listening to this podcast. Ben's always great. And without further delay, here is Ben. I am joined now by a friend of the podcast. I'm not sure if you can qualify as a frequent guest anymore, Ben, but you're a frequent guest in the past, and I it's, it's only because I stopped asking you to come on the podcast more as much as I was before. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I think I think I've accrued enough. I, I think I, I don't think there's a uh, a statute of limitations on when the <laughs> appearances expire. So I think I've banked enough to still count as a frequent guest. That is absolutely right. Uh, if people may not know this, if you're a new listener, you may not know Ben's work. Uh, I encourage you to check it out for sure. But Ben covered the Hawks basically every day for a full season plus and now is not on the Hawks beat, but obviously follows the Hawks very closely and also is the co-host of the Read and React podcast. That is accurate, I think, Ben. That's all correct. Uh, I trust him implicitly. So we're going to talk about the East today. For the most part, we're going to ignore the top three, unless you think, Ben, right here at the top, that you want to fire off a hot take that the top three might change, because I think it probably won't. Just my guess. Um, the, the teams in the top three won't change the order of those three could. Um, but yeah, I mean, Brooklyn, Philly and Milwaukee, it would take quite the, quite the collapse from them and also quite the surge for anyone to really get into that mix and and surpass them. So yeah, I think we're safe with those three given, you know, accepting the fact that anything can happen in this strange NBA season. I think that's as safe a bet as there is in the league right now is to say that the top three in the East will not change before the season ends. Yeah, I think that's pretty safe. Even with, uh, as we're recording this, Milwaukee's lost three in a row, but I think they're going to be okay. So anyway, we'll we'll leave that there for now. So that basically gives us a uh, this very large pack of teams from 4 to 11, essentially, right now as we're recording this. And where I want to start is at the bottom with an interesting team, but also a team that has dug themselves quite a hole. So as we record this, and this might change by, by the time people listen to this, but the Raptors are 20 and 32 on the season. But the way to get into this is that the Raptors currently have a positive point differential for the season. They have a better they have a better net rating than the Blazers who are 30 and 21. They have a better net rating than the Pacers, the Hornets, the Heat, the Bulls, the Spurs, the Warriors. All those teams have a worse point differential than the Raptors, but the Raptors are again 20 and 32. So I think there's no fear of the of them actually catching the Hawks in the actual standings, but because they are the Raptors, they're kind of dangerous. They could be an interesting play-in team, I guess. I, I don't want to leave them out, basically is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I think they're fortunate that there are really only, well, I guess there are 11 teams kind of in this this mix. You know, I'm I'm worried about them, to be honest. Like, I've, I've been kind of a, a Raptors optimist for the last three years or so. Like, the first Kawhi season... I was pretty high on their championship ceiling last year. I expected them to be not quite as good as they were, but still on the upper end. I came into this year, I think I picked them like third or fourth in the East coming into the year. Um, and, and this is kind of the year where they've they've finally kind of let go of the rope a little bit. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with being in Tampa and just the strangeness of the whole season. A lot of it also has to do with injury. You know, Kyle Lowry has missed a bunch of time. Fred Van Vliet currently missing time. OG Ananobi was out for a while. Uh, with with the health and safety protocols, Siakam is out. Now, I mean, it's just you talked about the walking wounded with with Atlanta, or we did before we came on, and and Charlotte, and I think that applies just as much to Toronto. So, you know, on, on quality, like if if everyone's healthy and and you're asking, you know, who's the best team of this group, they might be like second or third 
in this kind of middling eastern morass, but from where they are now to be able to get into the, I mean, let's just say the play. I mean, they're two games behind Chicago in the win column. Chicago, I think, got better at the trade deadline and should improve as the season goes on. Um, I would probably say they're more likely to finish 500 or better than the Raptors from here on out, just based on the injury situations and kind of how this season has gone. So they've, they've really put themselves in a hole that without full health, I'm just not sure they can climb out of. So I think it's one of those seasons where you kind of throw it away going into next year. But if we're just looking at the next couple of months, like they're, they're kind of the odd team out for me just because they're so far behind, even if everything goes right, even if everyone gets healthy tomorrow, they just still have so far to go to get back into that, you know, six, seven, eight range. And then, you know, I guess the play in is, is kind of in play and that always opens up an extra door. But, um, yeah, right now, this is the first time I'm really worried about the Raptors in a while, but I think this is just not their season. Yeah, that's that's basically right. I mean, they've been so snake-bitten with COVID and injuries and obviously just some, some luck stuff. I mean, they've, they've had a couple of hilarious uh, blowout wins and blowout losses to kind of skew their point differential, but still, it's it's wild to be 12 games under 500 with a, with, with a positive point differential. That's uh, not normal, let's just say. But yeah, we'll, we'll sort of eliminate them now. I, I just want to talk about them for a second because they are, I think they're still probably good if they're at full strength or at least pretty good. They're just kind yeah, of... Yeah, uh, they have a lot of talent and I mean, they play well together. The cohesion, it's all there. It's just the players literally aren't on the court. They're missing three starters right now. Yeah, they're just kind of buried. So, uh, all right, with them out of the way, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna make a couple of tiers just to talk about teams without having to go into all of them individually for a ton of time here. Um I'll ask this broadly from the Hawks' perspective, but this is a good way to talk about these teams. Um, which team or teams scare you if you are the Hawks between the Knicks, Pacers, and Bulls? The Hawks just beat the Bulls even on a night with Zach Levine having 50 points on Friday, but that was kind of a weird game, but the Hawks won it. They obviously have a cushion over all three of those teams, but I've kind of grouped those together because you have Miami and Boston are kind of separate because they've had the established truck records and all that stuff, but, you know, the Knicks, Pacers, and Bulls have all been pretty decent at times this year. Does any any of those teams scare you? Do, any, do none of them scare you? Where are you, where are you at with all of them? Um, I mean, I think the Hawks are probably a better team or a more talented team than all three of them. Um, I mean, it's... I want to say that no one in this group other than Miami is really all that scary, but you could also say the exact same thing about the Hawks. Like, if I'm looking at this from, let's say, New York's perspective... I'm probably not terrified of the Hawks, you know, so there's it's sort of this, um, you know, like two blunt objects fighting each other in a sword fight kind of feel to this. I, I guess Indiana is is maybe not uh, as as potent as I thought. I, I could see maybe their front court posing some problems just because the Hawks typically don't play a lot of size uh, together in the front court. Uh, I mean, I guess Collins is is more kind of classical power forward. But one of those guys, Capello or Collins, is defending Sabonis in the post, which means that the other is having to stretch out to the perimeter. And, you know, maybe that takes away your rim protection a little bit. And then Brogdon just being able to overpower Trey Young at the point of attack or even a guy like Aaron Holiday. And they can play some some interesting kind of two or three guard lineups to make Trey Young guard, you know, and not give him a hiding spot where he's just going to be able to chill on Justin Holiday or something. Um, Chicago is a little farther out of it right now in the standings. They're 22 and 29, which is closer to Toronto than it is to Charlotte. Um, But, you know, Zach Levine is about as flammable a scorer as anyone in this this tier, really, as anyone in the Eastern Conference outside of Brooklyn right now. So, I mean, I I guess if if you find that, if you run in Chicago in a play-in setting, they're definitely the team that scares me most in the play-in because... Levine could go for 45 and that's it. You know, you don't get another chance over the course of a playoff series. They're maybe a little less intimidating. I still don't quite buy the Knicks and I know they're 26 and 27. And I know all year I've said, I don't buy the Knicks and they're going (laughs) to regress and they haven't yet, but I'm, I'm still kind of holding on to that idea that they're going to regress to the mean at some point. Um, And, and, you know, the, the longer the regular season goes on, the more likely it is that that regression comes in the postseason. And I mean, to me, they just don't have the, the horsepower on offense to really strike a lot of fear into the hearts of these other teams. I, mean, I guess their defense, like their rim protection is real. Their three-point defense, not quite as real, but they certainly are pretty good at taking away a lot of the shots that the Hawks want to take. 
And, you know, Trey Young's floater hasn't been quite the weapon it was last year. He's not hitting that at quite the same percentage. You know, if they can use their two bigs in Robinson and Noel to kind of deter him around the rim, prevent Capella from getting downhill, Collins, all these guys, and and make the Hawks more of a three-point shooting team and just hope that that opponent three-point percentage sustains, I mean, that could be a formula, but over the course of a seven-game series, it you know, it's it, it's just unlikely that that's going to last for an entire seven games. So I, I guess, you know, long answer long, <laughs> Chicago is probably the team that, that scares me the most there. But those are definitely, I, I think, the weakest teams of this group. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, you might want to, I guess I would throw Charlotte in there as well, but Charlotte also has the cushion on those teams in the standings right now. We'll talk about them in a second too, but I'm kind of with you. I've never bought Indiana. That was the team that I picked the Hawks ahead of coming into the year, and they just not really shown that much for me. Obviously, without TJ Warren, that's hurt them. Um, but right now, as we're talking, the Pacers are 9-15 at home, which I didn't realize. They are six games under at home. I know there's not a lot of home court this year, but still, that's a wild number. I had no idea that was actually as bad as it was. Um, but yeah, the, and the Bull, I, I kind of agree with you about the Bulls, too. The Bulls have pretty high upside, and if they had this team all year, they'd have a better record than they would now. Like, Vooch is very good. Uh, Zach Levine's out of his mind. But they're also, as we're recording, five games behind the Hawks, so they're not going to catch them in the standings you wouldn't think. And that means you may not see them at all in the playoffs, and if you did, it would maybe be in the second-round setting if that if the Hawks can win the first-round series. So... Yeah, uh, it's kind of weird. I don't, I don't see any of those teams really biting the Hawks in the regular season. I guess the second question that I would ask you about those three teams is who has the best chance to finish ahead of the Hawks in a regular season? And I guess you kind of have to default to the teams that are higher in the standings. Like, like the Knicks are only two back of the Hawks right now as we're talking. Is that the right answer just because of the advantage they have? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Indiana, they're just always going to be a professional, competent basketball team, and you could see them racking up some easy wins at the end of the season. I don't know what their schedule is off the top of my head, um, but assuming they don't have like the Clippers and the Jazz and the Suns a bunch of times, I could see them just sort of handling the weaker teams, even if that isn't necessarily indicative of their team quality in the playoffs. Um, you know, incidentally, kind of the the Pacers formula for the last few years you know, regular season not being entirely representative of playoff quality. But yeah, I mean, I think Chicago is just too far out at this point. If it were an 82-game season, maybe my answer would be Chicago because there'd, you know, be more time to make up that ground. But at 28 and 25, I, that's, I think it's fairly safe to say the Hawks will be in, in the top six or seven, maybe in the, in the standings. Like, I, I don't see any of those three, th- th- three teams passing them um, or at least it's it's not likely that any three of them will yeah that was actually one of my questions that i guess we'll just answer now like again we're, i don't want to get too ahead of ourselves but it feels like in the standings as long as they don't have as long as the hawks don't have like a major injury and they've had so many injuries this year but i, I define that as basically missing trey for a few weeks or having capella miss a bunch of time as long as that doesn't happen it feels like they're pretty safe to avoid maybe the eight seed. I, I guess it's possible that the Hawks get below six, but I can't get, in, I can't see them get, get, get them below seven because of where everyone is. So even if you assume that Miami and Boston, we'll talk about them in a second. If they pass the Hawks, that gets the Hawks to seven, but also that has them with Charlotte, who you assume is going to cool off too. So in order for the Hawks to fall out of the top six and into the play in, they have to be passed by Miami and Boston and also finish behind Charlotte. And the odds of that do not seem high to me. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think Charlotte is due for some regression, again, because of injury. They've been fantastic this year. I'm sure we'll talk about them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for for the Hawks to stay behind Charlotte and also be passed, um, you know, I mean, they could fall two spots in the standings, assuming they pass Charlotte, could fall two spots in the standings and then still be out of the play-in. So I, I think they're fairly comfortable, comfortably kind of in that range. Um, and yeah, I think that that's sort of the the variable you look at, you know, above them in the standings. I think Charlotte is is more likely. So, it, I mean, honestly, it might be more likely that the Hawks finish with the four seed than the seven seed, just kind of looking at it now. Um, they've got a slight advantage in the win column over Miami and Boston. And, you know, if you kind of factor in them passing Charlotte and take that, for granted, which maybe we can't, but um, yeah, I mean, the four seed maybe looks more attainable than the seven right now, which is not something I expected to say coming into the season. Yeah, that is 
for sure. It's actually a good time to take a break to hear from our sponsors real quickly. We'll come back, talk about more of the Hawks, some Celtic stuff, Heat stuff, and more with Ben. So hold on tight. Bet online is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football is not happening right now, and I understand that's a lot of people's favorite thing to bet on in the sports world, but there are plenty of other options, including the NBA, of course. You have the NHL, auto racing, golf, tennis, MMA, college sports, everything you can imagine, you can find it at betonline.ag. And BetOnline even covers awards, entertainment bets, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline also has real-time updated odds and all kinds of props on almost anything you can imagine. Props are really fun to get into the sports betting world if you've not tried it before. And on top of that, BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and the odds that you need. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website now at betonline.ag or use mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On. That is 50% and a welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Ben, you mentioned the Hawks being more likely to finish fourth and seven, and I tend to agree. One of the questions that I get all the time right now is basically some form of can or will the Hawks finish in fourth or at least in the four or five series in the first round so they can avoid the big three in the east and my stock answer right now is like you know that's obviously what their goal should be uh given where they are at this moment that's not even a lofty goal it's like kind of what it has to be uh you know they're not going to chase down the bucks i don't think for third but if the hawks you know especially if they get some guys back health wise yeah they can finish fourth no question about it so we'll talk about the hawks for a second was that kind of what you're thinking, and also I, I'm kind of just curious what you think about the Hawks as someone who's not covering them every day. Like, what's your feeling on this team right now? Yeah, I, I don't think I would bet on them finishing fourth, but it's it's definitely in play, like we mentioned. I, I think, again, just on quality, Miami and Boston are both better teams, but we really haven't seen the full-strength Hawks all that much this season. I guess if you count Chris Dunn, we haven't seen them at all, but in terms of the guys who have played this season— there's been very little time where they've all played together. So actually much like last season, it's kind of hard to tell what this team is because I think the theory of the team has yet to really have a chance to play out. And so I, I guess in one sense, that's it's maybe it, it makes them kind of confusing and inscrutable, but it, you could also look at it as, as kind of an exciting thing because I think the, the in all likelihood, getting more players back and having a full team is going to make you a better team as opposed to a worse one. So maybe there is some upside that they can still kind of scratch at and and find a, a balance in the rotation that's really effective and play this thing out the way they envisioned it when they brought in all those guys over the summer and and with the you know internal improvement from from some of the younger guys. Now, is that likely with Hunter on the shelf again, Reddish on the shelf now, you know, and, and all these guys still kind of nicked up? Maybe not. You know, it's possible we don't see this team ever fully healthy playing together all season. And that's that's kind of the way it goes sometimes. I don't know that you can necessarily um, count on that as, as we head into the playoffs. But if that if that possibility is on the table, um, yeah, I mean, if they're running into, let's say, even a team like Boston, like I think, you know, they if if Reddish and Hunter are healthy, they match up decently with Boston in a playoff series. I don't think Boston has that much more talent than Atlanta throughout the roster. I mean, obviously at the top, they have two all-stars, but um, throughout the rest of the rotation, I mean, Atlanta's the deeper team. They have more firepower off the bench. They have more secondary creation, or at least than, than Boston has had this season. We'll see how Fournier kind of changes things for them. But like I said, it's it's a lot of blunt objects in a sword fight and and no one really has a clear advantage to me other than maybe Miami so if they can avoid them in the first round like I think any of these teams are vulnerable against any of the others and so you know again that's kind of a double-edged sword with with to continue the sword analogies for some reason (laughs) um you know you could look at it as as oh well my team is now vulnerable to lose in the first round but you could also see it as you know maybe I'm a a fan of the eight seed or the, the I guess the six seed and, and we can pull off an upset in the first round or something like that um, and look at it as, as more of an exciting thing. Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound like a hot take because I'm not uh, I'm not a homer. I'm not a big uh, Hawks proclamation guy. But Ben, tell me, tell me if I'm crazy here. I think the Hawks are just better than the Celtics. Yeah, I mean... It, I mean, it, I, I guess I should, I should explain more. I, I think part of that is 
Boston's got some pretty glaring weaknesses in their rotation. Now, Fournier helps them. He is a good player. I think that's a good acquisition for them. And Marcus Smart's been in and out. He's really good as well. But I think part of that is uh, Kemba does not look like Kemba to me. Like, he's still fine. He can get his own shot and stuff. But he's not the guy that they're paying. Like, he's not the guy they, that they signed. He's not a star anymore, at least at, at, least at this current moment. And yeah, they have they have the top two wings. Those guys are really good. Um, but, you know, I just think that the, between the depth and Kemba not being Kemba and the advantage inside the Hawks would have in a playoff series against them, they've kind of done they've kind of shown it this year already against them. Obviously, you don't, you don't want to go too far into head-to-heads, but the Boston doesn't really have any answers for John Collins, Clint Capella, like as a combination. It's a pretty bad matchup for the Celtics, I think. Um, so I'm not trying to be super, you know, hot take guy. I just don't really believe in Boston more than anything else. And I'm just not sure they're better than the Hawks. Like that might sound that I would have said that three months ago. I, I didn't say that I picked Boston clearly ahead of the Hawks coming into the season, but with what we've seen so far and what the Hawks will be able to do while not having full health. Again, there, there's an asterisk here in that the Hawks need to have DeAndre Hunter for this to be true. Like, and John Collins who are both out right now. So that's, that's a big asterisk, but if they had their actual team or close to it, I kind of believe it, honestly. It's weird. Yeah, they, Boston is just such a confusing team. I, I really don't even know Same. where I, mean... I come down <laughs> on. Are, are they better than anyone? You could tell me they beat the Bucks in the second round well, of the and playoffs. They, and they have experience, obviously. That's the biggest thing here is that the Hawks, this Hawks team has not been in the playoffs at all. They, right. have, guys, they have guys who've been there, like Capella, for instance, but they don't have... The, their, their key guys on the perimeter, your Trey Youngs, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter are all first-time playoff teams. That, that that does matter. How much it matters is up for debate, but putting them in a playoff series um, against a team in Boston that has a bunch of their core guys that have made some runs in the playoffs, that's a disadvantage for the Hawks for sure. Yeah, and, and the thing with them that's kind of been the case all year is they're just not like a great passing team or a super high IQ ball-moving team. And it's not like the Hawks or the 2014 Spurs or anything. <laughs> but they have multiple guys who can move the ball and make yes. plays, attack closeouts, you know, string together a lot of good decisions to create an easy basket. It just feels like whenever I watch Boston, they get so few easy buckets. And it, they're, they're always having to to work so hard for it. And, you know, of course, they get after-timeout stuff and system buckets. They have a good system. But it's just not as... That stuff isn't as frequent as you'd want it to be. And and on the one hand, you could argue, well, maybe that's an advantage because when you get to the playoffs, those kinds of opportunities disappear and then you have to rely on your one-on-one creators. And that's the area where Boston has a distinct advantage over the Hawks is that J- Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are just better individual pick and roll isolation scorers than anyone the Hawks have because they can rise up at six, seven, six, eight, and just shoot over the top of someone. Um, but if those guys have an off series or if if Kemba, like you said, isn't Kemba, which he hasn't been this year, you know, where where do they turn? Like who 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 is where is their secondary and tertiary offense coming from outside of those top two guys? It's it's just kind of hard to see that right now. I think smart is a really important piece for them. I would probably lean Celtics in a playoff series over the Hawks, mostly because of smart. I, I think he's a I mean, obviously, Brown and Tatum are. He's their best Big passer too, by too. the way. And it is he is. Be their, yeah. their best defender. Like I know Tam's really good on defense too, but Smart unlocks a lot for them. And they, exactly. you know, as weird as they've been this year, I will definitely say that they would have a much better record if Smart didn't miss all that time. Like Smart is yes. such a huge factor for them, and I think underrated in some circles, not by us by any means. We think he's really good, but uh, he, you know, for instance, he got brought up in some trade stuff with the Hawks before the deadline. Not real stuff, but like some rumors, flashes, and a lot of Hawks fans were like, Marcus Smart stinks. We, we, we wouldn't want him. It's like, Marcus Smart's actually pretty awesome. I, I know he's I kind of... Marcus Smart on my team. Yeah, he's a, he's a pretty annoying guy in a lot of ways, and he's had some runs with the Hawks over the years, and he's got some weird offensive stuff with his shot, but he's really good, man. I'm not trying to say he's like a top 20 guy in the league, but he's, he's an awesome player that helps them a lot. And with Kemba struggling, they need him even more. Yeah, I'm with you, and you said it. He unlocks so much. I think that's the, the key word there is he's just... He's such a connector. He's he's so dynamic in his own way. You know, it's not a conventional type of thing, but he he just he allows he allows them to operate and to function on both ends of the floor. Um, I, I also think in Tatum, Brown, Smart, Fournier, and and I guess Kemba if he's healthy, you could also Peyton throw Pritchard, a, baby. That's I was going to say you could throw a Peyton Pritchard in there. You could throw uh, now you're kind of getting down into Robert Williams and Grant <laughs> Williams territory, but they have 
I mean, they have four guys they can put in a closing lineup that I feel pretty good about. Um, whereas a lot of other teams in this Eastern mix, they have a couple guys where I'm like, yeah, good player. I definitely want him on the floor. And then a drop off after that. The problem for the Celtics is they're just so top heavy. They have those top four guys, maybe five, depending on Kemba again. And then if it's a good Pritchard night, you can count that as six. But beyond that, they just have very little coming off their bench. Very few guys you can trust in a playoff series. So they're, they're just putting a lot on the shoulders of those top guys, as they did last year, and it got into the conference finals. But I, I think this is a significantly weaker team than last year's bunch, which I thought even at the time was was a little bit of a weak conference finalist relative to what you typically see most years. Yeah, and they also, on it for it seems like pure money reasons, traded Daniel Tice, who's their best center, I think. So he, well, at least they still have uh, Miles Turner from the Gordon Hayward. Yeah, team. exactly. I mean, as funny as that, like last year's team had Gordon Hayward, for instance, and get, I know he was banged up at times. It wasn't like incredible there, but he was still good and they didn't replace. I mean, I know they have 48 now, but that's just a different thing. He's not quite as good as Gordon Hayward and their center rotation. I do like Time Lord. Uh, he's fine, but he's not consistent by any means. And Tristan Thompson, yeah. they're hoping will just like find his playoff gear, I'm sure at some point, like Rondo style, but he's not very good right now. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm not trying to go crazy, and I think you're probably right that Boston would be favored in the series against the Hawks if they played them, but I, that's a team that doesn't scare me, scare me as much. I, I talked yeah. about this with Tower Jones earlier in the week on the podcast, and I was like, you know, if I have to pick one team out of Miami or Boston to play, I'm playing Boston every time. And I'm not even a huge Miami guy, honestly. I just think that Miami is scarier than Boston is. I agree. M- much more trustworthy for me, uh, Miami, that is. You, you know, the the Fournier thing you you mentioned he's not Gordon Hayward but he's he's sort of like a poor man's Gordon Hayward he actually yeah. gives them a lot of what Hayward gave them last in, year in theory um he's not done it quite exactly. yet because he's been what does is he in, I think he's in a protocol right now he's been out for a couple games but he's he's a smaller not quite as good version but Evan Fournier yeah. is good I'm not trying to crap on Evan Fournier he's pretty clearly their fifth best player at a minimum right now he might be better honestly he's probably better than Kemba at this very moment uh you're they're hoping that Kemba's better than him eventually of course yeah but uh he is good like he's a he's a starting caliber player that's not going to start for them because they have so many wings but he is good yeah well but but what they need is you know a full Gordon Hayward or a full Miles Turner again to to keep bringing (laughs) that up and and he I mean he's just not that and that's not his fault necessarily it's just a a problem of roster construction. I'll tell you this though, they I would favor the Celtics against most teams in the East outside of the top three if they did have Miles Turner. And I think about the fact that they don't at least once a week. It and comes I just up continue. a lot. Yeah. I, I remain baffled by it. It's it's very weird and you know they they've at least tried to pour water on that report. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast, you may you may not know this, but it was widely reported that Boston essentially could have flipped Gordon Hayward in a sign and trade from Miles Turner and Doug McDermott. If they had done another that, guy, they could use. By yeah, the way. Dermot would help them too. So uh, again, you'll not you you can never know a hundred percent unless you're Danny Ainge and you're in the room, especially with Boston, because Boston is famously gets to the five yard line and stops on trade stuff. But it seems like that could have happened by all accounts, and it didn't happen. So congrats, congrats to the Celtics. I know a lot of Hawks fans do not like Boston for, uh, especially if they're older Hawks fans. So no no sympathy over here, I would imagine, from Hawks fans, but. Uh, <laughs> I guess we'll talk about Miami now for a second because Miami, I think, is the consensus team, especially big picture after they make the finals last year. I think if you asked like a bunch of national folks who the fourth best team in the East is, Miami would be the answer most of the time. Uh, that's also my answer. And I'm actually, I was not high on Miami last year, but between they brought back most of what they had last season and now they also added some pretty interesting pieces at the deadline. And Old Depot is not really the reason for me. I'm not a big Old Depot guy at this point in time. But like getting like Bielitsa and getting Trevor Ariza and they like Dwayne Dedman, old friend, is now on that team. And he may not help them a ton, but they have a lot more interesting depth than they had a month ago. And at the end of the day, they had Jimmy and Bam, and Jimmy and Bam are really good. Yeah, I agree. I think they're the clear cut fourth best team in the East right now. Um, I just, I mean, I, I don't think the Hawks are there. I don't think the Celtics are there. I don't think. I mean, obviously, New York, Chicago, Indiana just are not at that level. Um, yeah, I mean, their their offense worries me a little bit. There, it it should. It's been it's been pretty bad. Like yeah, I think right the, now, yeah, they're twenty fifth in offense, which is like wow, that's ugly. Yeah, and, and even with Jimmy Butler on the floor, they have a, under a one twelve offensive rating. So even when they're playing their best units, they're still not 
quite at the level you'd want from a a team that's going to need to, you know, obviously you need to score in the playoffs. So it's just, I mean, I talked about kind of the, the way the system becomes less effective in the, in the postseason. They could be a victim of that as well. If they just don't have that guy who can create buckets I and mean, Jimmy Butler is so good in so many ways and, and he can do that. He can get to the rim. He showed that in the playoffs last year. He can get downhill and drive and just manufacture stuff, but they don't have a lot of guys outside of him unless Oladipo just suddenly discovers how to finish at the rim again, which I don't think he will, who can really make that happen. You know, they, they rely much more on screening and passing and cutting and playing that team oriented style to, to create those looks. So, you know, we'll see their, their best, their, their lineup with Tyler hero at point guard and Duncan Robinson and Butler on the wings um, with bam at center. Like those lineups have been pretty good offensively. They can plug in, you know, guys like Trevor Ariza and Andre Iguodala to play the four in those lineups, maintain some defensive versatility and still keep enough shooting on the floor. But when your two best players are basically non-shooters and Andre Iguodala is also playing a big part in your rotation and, and you know, Trevor Ariza is up and down and Victor Oladipo may or may not be a good shooter at this point. We don't know. When you have that little shooting on your team, it's just, I mean, it's, it's hard in, in the postseason. You're just relying on kind of brute force from guys like Butler and Bam. And that worked last year. And so we, we have evidence that it can be effective, but I think there was a lot that went into last year's run that doesn't necessarily apply this year. Most notably the fact that Goran Dragic probably isn't going to be like an all NBA level player in this year's postseason. And so then they just have to be a really good defensive team and they have that capability. They're really versatile. They're really athletic. They can switch and do a lot of different coverages but you know they, they're versatile both in their style and in their personnel um, but that's that's just a much more uphill climb in the postseason than it is for you know if, if you have a more balanced team so you know getting home court advantage sure I could see them doing that if, if they if they get like the the four or five seed I expect them to get out of the first round but if they're a team that drops to six seven eight I don't see them getting past any of those top three teams maybe the Bucks just because the matchup. You know, they seem to, yeah, exactly. They seem <laughs> yeah. to have their number last year, but um, this is not the team, at least I don't think, that that ran you know through to the finals last year. I, th- I think this is a, it's a lot of the same personnel, but I don't think this is the same team that did la- that last year. And so I'm I'm sort of adjusting my framework on Miami, in that sense. But you know I think just by default they're probably the scariest team here. Yeah, there was some lightning in a bottle last year. I think everyone knew it in the moment too. Uh, between Jimmy just going nuts, and he's really good, so I'm not trying to say he, he's not capable of that, but that's not his normal baseline uh, every single game, especially on offense. And then you throw in Tyler Hero, you know, doing what he did. I'm not the biggest Hero guy. I don't think he's particularly good, and he has not been particularly good this year. And then Dragic, especially, like you mentioned, like kind of found his old level last year, and now he's back to where he was before that in his mid-30s. Um, I'm going to read, this is come, This is probably some bad radio, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just illustrate my point here. The Heat have not beaten very many good teams this year. They have a very, very bad record against good teams. I'm going to read just a bunch of the names of the teams that they've beaten in order. Uh, Pelicans, Thunder, Wizards, Pistons, Raptors, Kings, Wizards, Knicks twice, Rockets, Kings, Thunder, uh, Raptors, Hawks, Pelicans, Magic, Magic, Bulls, Cavs, uh, Knicks, Warriors without Steph, Cavs, Grizzlies, and uh, Lakers without LeBron and AD. Not amazing. Uh, they, they just not, they had not beaten any, not not any good teams, but they, their record is very, and this is a credit to them, like part of being a good team is beating you're supposed to beat. And yep. that's actually what the Hawks have done recently uh, under McMillan. And that's one of the things that you have to credit him for is that the Hawks have beaten teams that they're supposed to beat in the, in the last month and a half. And that's not a small thing. That's a big thing in the NBA is to win the game you're supposed to win. But if you're Miami and you're operating on this different plane of being like a pseudo contender and you never beat anybody good, like <laughs> that's kind of a flashing sign that, yeah, like you're you're still pretty good. But Jimmy's a, m- sort of a maniac competitor and all this stuff. And I'm not, I'm not sure where their ceiling is. Honestly, is where I am. Like they're they're really well coached. Spoh's really good. Butler plays hard. Bam's really good. So they're threatening, but I don't know what their ceiling is. Like they don't particularly scare me in that way. It's more of like being that cold, calculating, you know, heat culture stuff where they're going to just play really hard every night. And there's a lot of value in that. I'm just not sure how good they are. 
Yeah, they're they're a team that's sort of. I mean, they were like this a few years ago before they got Jimmy, when they were consistently kind of in the playoff mix and they would be an underdog in the first round and lose. But they were always consistently difficult to play against. Like they were just annoying and they pestered you and they're physical and they play hard, all the stuff you said. And ultimately they just didn't have the talent. They're more talented now than they were then for sure. Yes. But again, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the the Jimmy Butler lineups without Kelly Olynyk on the floor because he's no longer on the team. And they just, I don't think they're going to be able to score. They have a 107 offensive rating in those lineups. You know, you swap anyone you want. Uh, you know, with Jimmy and Bam on the floor, they still can't score. Um, and and you mentioned like a lot of their wins have come against weaker opponents. So what happens when you put that same offense against stronger defenses who are going to provide more resistance, take away a lot of the easy buckets? They have an offense defense just, problem. Honestly, it's one of those yeah. things. Well, not not to cut you off, but like I feel like they almost have to play that like Dragic, Hero, Robinson together lineup with Butler and Bam to be able to score. And then they can't stop anybody with that group. So they have a bunch of guys who are not like full one-way players. Like Duncan Robinson is not a absolutely terrible defender, but he's below average. Tyler Hero is small and not great. Dragic is, you know, he'll compete, but he's not very good. And those, those three guys are three of their best five offensive players and they're all below average defensively. So that's, it's, it becomes hard because then if one of those guys is off the court, you're playing, Kendrick Nunn, or you're playing Trevor Ariza, who's 35 and hasn't played in a year. You're playing guys that you may not love playing, and that's kind of probably why they went and got Oladipo, just to maybe give them some upside. I don't love that, but like at least he has the theoretical ability to put it all together. But right now, they kind of have an offense-defense problem. Like They can get stops, for sure, if they play most units, but to your point, like I don't know if they can score. And Jimmy is a good offensive player, but he's not on the level of some of these other guys as a offensive guy. Part of his yeah. value is that he's an awesome defender. And he is, and so is Bam, but neither one, I mean, Jimmy can get his own bucket, but Bam is not really like a ISO scorer type. He's a good number two or three guy on offense, but I don't know. They just don't have a lot of lineups that scare you like on both ends at the same time. Yeah, and then the other thing with Jimmy and Bam, part of what I like about them so much is their ability to set other guys up, yep. you know, make the game easier for teammates. But if the opponent is blanketing Duncan Robinson on every play, who are they setting up that's really going to punish the defense? You know, so that sort of additive property that they that they give you isn't really applying. It's kind of the same thing we're seeing with Steph on the Warriors this year. It's like he just he makes they make everyone around them better, but if the guys around them aren't that good, they can only get so much better. You know, and and so I don't know. Maybe Bielitsa is a, a solution to that in some ways. He can play with Bam, give him a little more floor spacing. You mentioned the upside with Oladipo is there, even if it's, you know, I don't believe that they're going to necessarily reach that upside, but he at least gives them that possibility. But, um, yeah, I mean, unless Goran Dragic just drinks from the fountain of youth again this year. Yeah. It, yeah. He's the guy that probably has to do that. And that's, I think people like you and I noticed that last year in their run, but it might've got underplayed. Like he was probably the biggest reason why they were able to turn it on the way they were. And, a lot of the credit went to Jimmy as it should have, but also to hero. And I think the hero credit probably should have gone to Gore, to, to Gore and more yeah. than it did. Well, um, and hero was another guy who played pretty he well. He was good. Yeah. I mean, no, no so question. what are the odds that he's going to play that well again, in the postseason? Not, I mean, not as high. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I think we all saw that coming to some extent because it was like, all right, this bubble store in he's, you know, some, some of the bubble stuff can carry it over. Like your Jamal Murray is better this year after the bubble. Mm. Donovan Mitchell's been better this year after the bubble. But Hero is a good example of a guy who kind of flashed for that six weeks and then now is kind of what he was before that. And he's still so young that you don't want to give up on him. But they needed both Hero and Goran to be really cooking to make that run. And that's having both those guys do that again is not uh, likely. One of them, maybe, but not both. Do we think this? Do we think this drop off by Miami combined with Phoenix's ascent is a uh, is a good case for Jay Crowder for MVP? Is is that what what we're coming? Uh, yes, to absolutely. Of? No, I mean they, they need Jay Crowder. Honestly, Miami, I like what they did to get Trevor Ariza as like a flyer to potentially do some of that Crowder stuff, but they they miss Crowder in the playoffs. They need him, man. Like that Crowder yeah. role in the playoffs. I mean, they, they tried Mo Harkless, that didn't work. Um, you know, Bielitsa can play offense, but not really defense. They don't have that guy anymore, and that's going to hurt them too. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think we, we both just picked Miami basically as the fourth best team in the East, but it's not like they're in their, their own tier for me, for me anyway. I mean, if uh, I guess the way to end this podcast is to ask you, or at least finish up with some 
Hawks related stuff. Like, I think the Hawks can, I'm not saying will, I think the Hawks can beat anybody in this group that we've talked about in a series. I think Miami is the toughest matchup for them, but they're not going to go into a series with Miami and be like a 90-10 underdog, I don't think. Yeah, I agree with that. I do think that Miami is a little bit of a tough matchup for them. It is. Because they don't, again, I mean, especially if, if Hunter is just going to be out for the season. They got to have Hunter. I mean, that's, maybe, yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes without saying that, like, if they don't have Hunter and Collins, the ceiling is a lot lower. Right. That's pretty clear. Right. But they also, I mean, the Hawks are not exactly flush with elite wing defenders. So maybe scoring is a little bit easier for Miami against Atlanta as opposed to what it could be against Boston or even like a New York, you know, who actually has some some stout guys on the wing. Although, I mean, again, it's mostly their rim protection. Well, they've, they've played them well this year, too. The Knicks have had the Hawks yeah. number a little bit this year. I think because of their physicality, um, I'm not sure they can score in a playoff series, but defensively, right. they're, they're really good. Yeah, so I mean, I guess Miami may even want to see Atlanta in the first round just because that kind of presents the easiest matchup for them. But I also think the Hawks have some advantages over the heat that they could press on. And, and you know, there's it, it would be... It would be not a coin flip, but but kind of close to it in a playoff series for me if that were the matchup. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking through the standings and kind of. Well, I'll, I'll, none I'll of say these one teams more. I'll are say particularly one more thing. Inspiring to me. Yeah, so. I'll say one more thing. I think I, I, I think you agree with this. But I wonder if you do. If I'm a Hawks fan listening to this podcast, what I am rooting for is the Hawks staying in the four five and not playing Miami. Those are my two things. Number my number one priority as a Hawks fan would be. Stay in the four five because that way you're not playing one of the big three in the first round. Yes. And, my, and my number two priority would be hope that Miami is the six seed. <laughs> that's that's me. Does that seem reasonable? Yeah, to you? no, I think I think that's the exact correct approach. To, I mean, I think frankly, I think that's probably the case for most of these. Well, teams it should be. Here, yeah, they, Boston, should be, Josh, Boston should be doing the same thing. I mean, Boston yeah. wants to play. I'm sure Boston would, would prefer to play the Hawks or the Hornets or the Knicks rather than the Heat in the four five two. So it's not. It's that's not only a Hawks thing, but. I still think that I would rather be in the four or five playing Miami than slide to the six. That seems pretty obvious, obviously. Then slide to the six and have to play Milwaukee or whatever. You still want you still want to be in that four or five series. Uh, I just think there's a little bit of a gap between Miami, Miami and everybody else. I agree. I think any any combination of Miami, Boston, and Atlanta as the four or five first round series would be a really good series. I think like I agree. Those are the three teams that are I think are closest to kind of being equal quality i would probably order it miami boston atlanta but they're they're all kind of within a tier for me charlotte new york indiana chicago maybe toronto for including them are are maybe a cut below that um although i guess if, if toronto gets in the playoffs they're probably going to be fairly threatening because that means that they're healthy but yeah I, healthy I mean, and I, hot from the plan too like they will have to right. be playing well to get there you would think yeah but i think i think we've ruled them out already but those those three teams, I think, would make for a pretty entertaining first round in the four or five. And I think any one of those against the other teams in that in that group might be, you know, a little less uh, tense of a of a seven game series. Yeah. So I think we've we've covered it. We've, we've talked about a lot of teams. Uh, as I will have mentioned before, we before I brought you in on this podcast, we are talking on Saturday. So some of the stuff could change by the time you listen to this. But that's okay. This is not that fluid day to day, unless there are major injuries, and I will provide a caveat at some point before I talk about this podcast. Um, ben, if you have any final thoughts, please share them. And if not, uh, please tell people where they can find your stuff because uh, you are still very active in the NBA world. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really talk about the the top three in, on this podcast. I think for good reason, but yeah, that, I, I mean, I we, we, we could do really it. We could do it. Interesting. Sure. So yeah, <laughs> it's more like uh, you know. I, there, there will be time. I think Hawks fans are hoping there will be time to talk about those teams because that means they're either playing in like the three six or they're playing them in the second round. And that'd be that'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say this: listen to the Read and React podcast for more on the top three teams in the Eastern Conference. I'm sure you guys yes. talk about that. Yeah. No, I think it's, <laughs> it's fun to to hit these these like middling teams, um, but I think ultimately, when you when we're talking about the championship picture, like the really exciting stuff is at the top. But it is, I do like kind of going through the lower end of it and kind of figuring out where things are going to go. We also, I mean, obviously didn't talk about the West, but there's just, there's so much to dive into there. And, and so I think there's just a lot of, of really interesting stuff happening across the league right now. And, you know, it's, it's kind of been the way this way all season that there's not a lot of separation between four and 10 right now, like we've been talking about. So, I mean, you mentioned earlier that it might not change day to day, but 
it also might, you know, it's, it's, we're starting to get a little bit more stratification, but given the, the health of some of these teams remaining schedules, just where each team is in their progression over the course of the season, there's a lot of moving parts here that could contribute to some somewhat significant movement within that four to 10 range. That said, it could all stay the same. You know, it could be the exact same standings when the playoffs start as it is when we're talking now. But I also think there's the chance here for, for some variance and for some movement, and it might not necessarily shake out according to team quality. And so that could throw some really interesting wrenches into some of these first round series where, you know, I'm not sure any of the top three are going to get upset in the first round, but maybe Brooklyn has a little bit of a tougher time in the first round and it weakens them by the conference finals or something like that. And, and maybe it doesn't go quite according to plan and, and someone catches a bad matchup and we get a little bit of a curveball in the playoff picture. I would like to see, and not, not, not only from this podcast and my, uh, my local uh, responsibilities, but I would like to see Miami stay in the six and play Milwaukee again. That would be fascinating to me. And then maybe an Atlanta-Boston like old school rivalry 4-5 series. That would be a lot of fun on, on both levels, I think. Um, not just because it's easier for the Hawks a little bit in my, in my mind, but the history there in that series would be fun. And then I'd be fascinated to see if Milwaukee would actually make it make an adjustment against against Miami yeah. at some point. Uh, shots I'll also say, I think <laughs> you mentioned Atlanta-Boston as a possibility. If Reddish and Hunter are healthy and playing well, that defensive matchup between them against Brown and Tatum could be really, really fun. Yeah, those, given those the way two guys they, and Tony yeah. Snell and whoever you want to Tony say. Snell. like Tony Snell, the greatest shooter of all time. Three-point assassin Tony Snell. Uh, he's also banged up now, too, which is unfortunate. The entire Hawks team has been hurt at some point this season. Yeah. Other well, that's the other thing that, about the Hawks is, is like we kind of touched on it earlier, but like last year, you know, it's just been a lot of injuries. And it's funny because it, it sort of started out where all, all the veterans, all the newcomers were injured, and it was just basically the, last year's team continuing to play this year and then all the young guys got hurt and now it's Trey Young, Clint Capella and the veterans and and so there's it's just kind of been two different teams over the course of the year and all these parts moving in and out and and like I said earlier they just just haven't played together uh very often this year this, this season but it's been interesting to kind of watch them take on different identities as the season has gone on based on the personnel that's available to them on a given night yeah, it's been fun, and uh, we'll talk more, I'm sure, about the Hawks. I'll have to ask you to come on. We'll do more Hawks talk. But uh, I was thinking of trying to have someone on that I trusted to talk about the East, and you were the number one name on the list, Ben. So thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And, and I'll men- just mention one more time, if, if you want to listen, uh, read and react podcast, you can find that wherever you get podcasts. And uh, you know, check it out if you enjoy good NBA discussion. I, I like to think that we're one of the better places to find that. So. Co-sign. I would co-sign that, except yeah. for John. Just, just ignore all of John's takes. And listen to ben. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. John is Ben's co-host, and uh, he is very smart as well. So. You won't find rational talk about the Philadelphia 76ers on this show, but everything else, I think we give a pretty straightforward <laughs> take on it. Uh, there you go. Everybody has their blind spots. Uh, for me, it's like when uh, Iggy Brasdakis comes on the screen or something, or Trey, <laughs> Trey Burke or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, we all, we all have our little things. But Again, thank you, Ben. Please follow Ben on Twitter where he rarely tweets, but it's always uh, worth it when he does. And follow Read and React. Subscribe to this podcast, and we'll see you all next time.